Sometimes I feel like as I get to go around and preach that my privilege is that I get to talk to people about my favorite passages in the Bible. Um, I don't have to do the, the long trajectory, the long slogs through books and um, get to those passages that are harder to preach unless the congregation wants me to. And that's even more difficult. Why do you want me to preach a hard text? That's usually not a great situation. But here we come to yet another one of my favorites. Um, as we're in Advent season here, uh, I want to think through just a little bit um, of Hebrews 1, uh, 1 to 2. So Hebrews 1, uh, 1 to 2, if you've got a Bible, electronic or uh, paper. Um, this section of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews is designed, it was written to um, Jewish Christians who were tempted to turn back to something else that wasn't Jesus. And so the encouragement here uh, is to stick with Jesus. And the author's whole argument, um, the book of Hebrews could be thought of as one sermon, long, detailed, but one sermon. It's actually worth doing in one, reading in one sitting. If you can sit that long and concentrate, it's very much worth doing because you can see the whole, which is helpful. So uh, Hebrews uh, is labors to prove that Jesus is better, which is why you ought to stick with him. And so this first uh, section in the ESV uh, is titled The Supremacy of God's Son. So just verses one and two from Hebrews chapter one. Let's hear God's word. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the worlds. All right, now we worked on this last time that I was here. Okay, so I'm going to say something, and then you're going to say something. I'm going to say this is the word of the Lord, and you're going to say... Look at you. You're doing great. Let's, let's pray once more. Oh, Father, thank you that you are a speaking God. We would be lost if you weren't. So thank you that you've spoken, you've spoken a lot and that you spoke finally in your son. Help us to have true Advent hope as we grasp the gravity of who it is that has come for us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, in my own ministry through the years, um, as I've come up to Advent, I've tried to alternate between uh, years where we would go through sort of the, the traditional texts in, um, in Matthew and Luke, right? And it's helpful to have that sort of narrative view of Advent. And then in other years, we've gone through sort of more uh, a doctrinal uh, standpoint. So this is one that's more of that doctrinal viewpoint, which is why we're in Hebrews, even though we're in Advent. That's why we're in Hebrews, not in Matthew or Luke. So a question to ponder at Advent, that's a profound question, but it's a pretty simple question, is why did Jesus put on flesh? Why did Jesus put on flesh? I put on this, pulled this out of my suitcase. I'm at the beginning of a two-week trip. So I wore my winter coat and my snow boots this morning. It was, John saw me changing in the car, getting my, my nifty shoes on and my jacket. Said my winter coat, right? I, I put on coat this morning. Jesus put on flesh. Why? 
Why did Jesus put on flesh? Well, we begin to get an answer to this question in our Hebrews passage. Hebrews 1 begins here pondering long ago when God began to give previews of Jesus coming, when it was only anticipated. Uh, That's the point, by the way, of of why churches do Advent. We reenact the anticipation of Jesus coming as it would have existed in the heart of a righteous Old Testament saint. That's why we sing songs like, O come, O come, Emmanuel, right? He's already come, but we're reenacting what they looked forward to, even as we look forward to Jesus' second coming. I mentioned that uh, I like to alternate between doctrinal and narrative. Why is that helpful? Well, in the narrative sections, when we look in Matthew and Luke, you see all of this news of great joy and angels and brightness and all of that. And what the narrative helps you do is it helps you um, know how to react. Models for you. What does it look like to actually like get what Advent is about? They show us how to anticipate and rejoice at good news of great joy. That news, though, didn't begin on some field um, in, you know, 2,000 years ago in Palestine. It began many years ago in a land far, far away from here. And so let's hear from God's perspective the previews of Jesus. Let's hear about the previews of Jesus. So look with me at verse 1. Um, long ago, well, how long ago? From at least Moses onward, which by most scholars would say Moses is probably 1500 BC. So that's 3,500 years ago. Let's call it roughly that. Okay. Long ago, that whole time span, at many times, so it couldn't be missed, and in many ways, so it came at you in, in lots of different angles and ways. There's an abundance of revelation, God spoke. You shouldn't um, miss that word. It's very interesting if you follow the theology, uh, just trace God speaking through the scriptures. It's fascinating. Um, it, it's it, What we have, we made in God's image, what am I doing right now? I'm speaking. And the reason that I, made in God's image, speak is because I'm made in the image of a speaking God. And God's speaking comes in lots of different forms, right? We read in Genesis 1 that God speaks, and from nothing, everything comes into existence. Which is crazy talk. That's bizarro, right? There's nothing, God speaks, there's everything. From bats to wombats, to bees, to stars, to us, God speaks. If you were to go just a verse further in Hebrews, down to uh, verse 3, you find out that this Jesus, we're not going to go into all this today because I just want to focus on Jesus as the creator today, but uh, you find out that this Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So even the world is staying in existence by speech, God's speech. That's how powerful his speech is. In this instance, what we're looking at in Hebrews, God spoke to our fathers, 
this is written to, uh, I said uh, earlier, a Jewish Christian audience. So Jews would have been thinking about uh, the patriarchs, right? Those in the early parts of, that we read about in the early parts of the scriptures. And he spoke to them, patriarchs, the Old Testament saints, uh, by the prophets. We'll come back and think about what that means here in just a second. So as you think about um, God speaking, he speaks throughout the entirety of the Old Testament. In the Hebrew versions of the Old Testament, you have kind of three different sections. You have the Torah, the prophets, and the writings, right? Torah, the first five books, the prophets, the rest of it, writings of the wisdom literature, right? Prophets to a Jewish audience would have included the Old Testament books of what would have been called the former prophets, Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings. That's what in your English Bible, typically we would call the historical books, right? And then uh, what are termed the latter prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the 12, the minor prophets, right? So that's, that's who God spoke through, all of that enormous chunk of the Old Testament. Why? Why did God speak? Well, we couldn't have known otherwise. We don't have that knowledge inside of us. What did he speak? By the prophets in many times in many ways. He spoke of a Messiah who was to come. Uh, you can think of Psalm 2, right? The final king to whom we should bow down, as happened at Jesus' birth. We'll think about that a little bit more later. Why does God speak? God wanted his people to understand what was coming so that they could anticipate well. He wanted them to know that he cared, that he was going to do something about people in a world in pain. He wanted people to know that all sin would be dealt with decisively. Remember what's said in Matthew 1.21, that the angel comes to Joseph he says to him, the son that's in Mary's womb, he's going to be called Jesus. Remember why? For he will save his people from their sins. See, this is God's great concern. Our sins need an answer. And it's for this reason that God sent his son to give his final answer. And so let's understand, secondly, um, God's final answer. Look with me at verse 2. So there's a series of contrasts here between verse 1 and verse 2. So I'll try and draw them for you as we go. No idea why I'm so dry today. All right, so here's the first contrast. But, strong adversative, right? But in these last days. So the contrast is long ago to in these last days. Commonality is that God has spoken, but he's spoken not to our fathers, but to us. And how did he speak? He didn't speak to us by the prophets, but so spoke to us by his son. Now, who is that son? That son is the one whom God appointed the heir of all things. Um, some of you, I think when I was here last time, I mentioned my dad was in the hospital. He passed away a week back on Friday. And so my brother and I unwillingly uh, became heirs. We were appointed 
by my dad's will that we were heirs, right? We were heirs because we were his kids. There's a different thing going on here. Whom he appointed, the heir not of some some tools and some stuff from the shed, clothes. He appointed the heir of how many things? You tell me. How many? All things. Okay, now, okay, now here is contrast. God speaks, and how many things come into existence? All things. And Jesus is appointed the heir of all things. Ah, okay. Now we're getting somewhere. He's appointed the heir of all things. Is Jesus worthy of this? You get appointed to a position, you know, you're a politician, you appoint people or whatever. Is he, is he worthy of this? Well, you're going to find out in the rest of the book of Hebrews that he absolutely is because of who he is and what he's come to do. And anyways, you're going to find out that he's worthy of this. But here you get just the beginning of it, right? You get the beginning of why he's worthy of this, of being the heir of all things. Keep going, verse 2. Through whom? So God spoke. Now he's spoken by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through whom? The agent. Also... Yeah, he created the world. Minor. So, sarcasm, of course. <clears throat> yes, he's worthy of being appointed the heir of all things because he already owns it all because he already made it all. That's what this is trying to say. He's the heir of all things because he's the one through whom the world was created. Um. You can think here, there's a couple of parallels scripturally that if you want to write down, you can look up later this afternoon. Um, uh, the note in the ESV study Bible is excellent, so I'll just read it because it, I can't improve on it. The pre-existence, so that Jesus exists before creation, the authority, the power, and the full deity of the Son are evident in his role in creating the world. And you can look at John 1.3, John 1.10, Colossians 1.16, if you want to think more about the role that the Son had in creating the world. All right, what's God's final answer? Uh, God's final answer comes through his Son, Jesus. The anticipation for us is over. We have the final answer, and it's a good answer. So none of this, like, Jeopardy, is that your final answer? Like trying to convince you that it should be maybe a different answer than the one answer that you put down? Is that your final answer? No, this is a good final answer. It's a beautiful, wonderful final answer. Because God's final answer for the problems of individual humans in a broken world involves sending his son, his one and only son. Now, to get the enormity of that sending, the father sending the son, we've got to understand who this Jesus is. And that's what we're told here. That the staggering truth that we're told here is that Jesus was God's agent of creation. He was there in the beginning, echoing John 1, with God and once God. Not just that, 
though that would be plenty. As creator, he is also the inheritor of all things. So what, what are we given here the opportunity to reflect on? We're given the opportunity here to simply revel in the fact that the Jesus who made all things very good, remember that way back in the beginning, early chapters of Genesis, first chapter, makes things good, 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 gets all done. He goes, oh, that's good. That's the Matt translation. That's good. That's very good. And then it all goes to pot. And God doesn't look at it like sometimes I did with my, when my boys were smaller and they'd break a toy and I'd look at it and I'd go, I could try and fix that, but it'll take me an hour of my life. It's kind of like, think I'm just going to let that one go. And God's not like that. He's not like that. Jesus, who made all things very good, saw the desperation in the world, the weary world. Oh, holy night sets. Very precious line if you feel weary. The weary world. Jesus, who made all things very good, saw the desperation in the world and the weary world that he made in his response was to come down. Now, friends, the enormity of this shouldn't be missed. The creator, Jesus, added the creation, the man, Jesus, to himself. The second person of the Trinity added the man, Jesus, to himself. Okay, I can say those words out loud. I can't perfectly make your mind understand them because they're higher than us. I'm sorry, I wish I could. Just doing the best I can here. But here's a truth that I have found fascinating over the years to meditate on. Where's Jesus right now? You tell me. Where's Jesus right now? Okay, so the right, as I'm throwing, is at the right hand of the Father. Is he physically at the right hand of the Father? I hope so, too. So here's the crazy thing. This is why we do, one of the reasons why we do the Lord's Supper, by the way. We talk about that body and blood of Jesus. The creator added the creation to himself forever. So what was lost could be found, rescued, and restored. That includes the whole weary world and its weary, broken, wandering, sinful inhabitants. In other words, people like you and me. Sometimes it's wondered, is this, was this the only way? Could God have gotten this done? Could he have just snapped his fingers and, you know, just forgiven sin and made everything better again? And could it have been that way? And the answer consistently, the teaching of the scriptures through time, I'm, one of my Advent, I have a couple of Advent habits. Uh, one of them is that... Um, I'll listen through, uh, over the course of Advent, I'll listen through 
um, Handel's Messiah. Sometimes we'll go see a performance of Handel's Messiah. Um, the other is I try and read through one of the significant works on um, the incarnation. And so this year I'm rereading through Anselm's um, Curtis Homo, available very inexpensively on Kindle, by the way, and very readable. But why? Why Curtis Homo is why, why the God man? Why, why like this? Why did we need a God-man to come as Savior? Well, our catechism, Heidelberg Catechism puts it this way. Can any, this is a, a Heidelberg 14, can another creature, any at all, pay this debt of sin for us? The answer, no. To begin with, God will not punish any other creature for what a human is guilty of. Furthermore, no mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. So then what kind of mediator and deliverer should we look for then? One who is a true and righteous human, yet more powerful than all creatures. That is one who is also true God. But this is what the message of Advent is. That the God-man came down for us and for our salvation. So what's the right response then? to this creator who has come down putting on creation for our sakes. It's then last to receive Jesus, the creator. In the big picture of the book of Hebrews, the main issue the author is seeking to address, as I said earlier, was that Jewish believers were tempted to waver on trusting in Jesus alone as their only hope. Uh, they, were, they were turning back, you can see as you go through the whole of the book, to old covenant ceremonies, why? It seems like because they were familiar, they were earthy, you could touch them. And so in that sense, it was understandable. Even if it was dangerous, it was understandable. The problem is, is they went back to the old covenant ceremonies, instead of sticking with Jesus, uh, they were offending God. They were offending God, the Father who had sent his Son. They were offending Jesus who had come down for them by going back to the shadow, to the prediction to the anticipation when they had the reality. They had the substance. They didn't need to go back, but they were. Now, I'm not guessing that y'all are going back um, to Old Covenant ceremonies, but we should not be so self-righteous as to think that we are immune from such turning away from turning away from soul reliance on Jesus, turning to something else more familiar, perhaps more earthy instead of Jesus. You remember, that's the heart of idolatry, right? Is to orient, orient your life around something that's been made instead of the maker. The call in Hebrews is to stick with Jesus. And that's very needed for us as we daily live a lifestyle of repentance and faith, as we turn from idols that ultimately won't satisfy, can't satisfy us to Jesus alone. Now, for some of you who are listening, uh, maybe you haven't started that journey of walking with Jesus. And then God's call to you then would be to be at the beginning, to begin sticking with Jesus as your only hope. What does that mean? It means recognizing that the creator has authority over me. And because he does, one day 
He will judge me. He will determine my status. The safe place to be on judgment day is to use the language of the Apostle Paul, is to be in Christ. To be one uh, who receives what Jesus should receive, which is to be at God's right hand. That's the safe place to be, to go from being from lost to in Christ. Well, what does it look like to do that? How does that happen? It means that you relinquish self-rule. Now, that's one way of talking about repentance, is that why do I sin? Why do you sin? Uh, We sin because we think we're wiser than God. We think that the way to handle this particular situation that I'm in is to sin. And so I exert my wisdom and my pride, and I go, I can get that done. And so I do. And I sin as a result. And what repentance is, is to say, I'm done with that. I am relinquishing self-rule. And I'm turning from that. I'm turning from that idolatry, from worshiping, from centering on something that's made, right? And I'm turning to Christ. I'm saying, Jesus, I need you. I need you as my creator, Lord. I receive you. So one response is just to ask yourself, have I done that? This is Jesus' point of coming at Advent, so that people like you and I could be in his family forever. I grow in amazement that God wanted a family of misfit toys. I, it's mind-blowing. As I get to know myself better, I'm like, yeah, this is crazy. Why would you want me in the family? And that's precisely when that is what goes through your mind. And then you can reflect that on and go, ah, that's the nature of grace. Then you're beginning to get it. Then you're beginning to get it. That God desires us in his family is amazing. Even more amazing was the extent to which God went to make that possible for us. The table here tells you, it indicates that extent. To what extent would God go to have us in the family? It was to death. The death of the creator, son of God, who came in flesh. Christianity is serious business because sin is serious business. And yet Advent is joyous because Jesus came to fill our biggest need, that our shame and guilt and fear could be removed forever. Let's renew receiving Jesus with prayer as we approach the Lord's table. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your heart is like this towards your people that you didn't look down on the broken world and broken humans, sinful humans like us, and just decide it wasn't worth it. But your response was the exact opposite of that. It was most worth it. 
It was the way you wanted to bring yourself glory, was to display your love and grace, your mercy and compassion, and to do it in a stunning way, Father. Thank you, Jesus, that you came down for us and for our salvation. Help us to truly rejoice in Advent at that. And Holy Spirit, bring these truths home for us. For some of us, it's been decades since we started thinking about this. We can get dull to it. I pray that we wouldn't. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.